over time, start to look for those signals of threat in your real life to know that you are moving into a dysregulated state. So there's a couple things that you can look out for that'll tell you, hey, something here is is making my body feel stressed out. And if you lose saliva in your mouth, if your mouth gets dry, because saliva is part of our digestive process. And when we're moving into fight and flight, we move out of our digestive process into preparing for action. So if your mouth gets dry, if you experience a lot of tension around your eyes, that's part of startle reflex or reflexive action of protection. If your shoulders start to elevate and you get a lot of tension in your upper traps, if you start to experience small signals of pain, maybe a little bit of pain at the site of an old injury, because again, our body uses that well-worn pathway to signal us like, hey, this is threat beginning, but those signals will get louder and louder. Hey there, I'm Amy Connell. Welcome to Graced Health, the podcast for women who want simple and grace-filled ways to take care of themselves and enjoy a little chocolate. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach who wants you to know your eating, movement, and body don't have to be perfect. You just need to be able to do what you're called to do. I've shared before that when I began this podcast, I intended to have a faith-filled, grace-based focus on our eating and movement that was it. Honestly, that's all I knew. But as the saying goes, I didn't know what I didn't know. As this show has progressed, and I've had extended conversations with counselors, faith leaders, people who understand the body more than I do, I realized our mind and emotions are so intricately connected to the rest of our body. And these impact our eating and movement. My conversation with Elizabeth Kristoff today takes this to just an elevated understanding that is simply fascinating. I don't even have any other word to describe it. It just blows my mind. If you are a 1.5 speed listener, listen up you may want to take that down because Elizabeth brings so much knowledge about the nervous system, our stress response, and our body signals. We talk about dysregulation, the vagus nerve, old brain and new brain, uh, the power of using new tools to move emotions through our body. There is so much here. I just can't wait for you to hear it. Let me tell you quickly about Elizabeth. She is a certified applied neurology practitioner practitioner who has been in the movement and wellness industry since 2007. She works with entrepreneurs, athletes, leaders, and creatives to improve resilience, manage stress, and regulate emotions through intentional science-based brain training. Elizabeth uses applied neurology to move people out of pain, unwanted behavior, and stress response. She's the founder of Brain-Based Wellness, an online platform that trains the nervous system and body to resolve old patterns, improve performance and increase well being. Now before we bring on Elizabeth, I want to remind you of my new book, Your Worthy Body. This book is for women who would like a different perspective on their body movement and eating. And it uses exercise science and nutrition science all through a lens of faith to break some of these rules and messaging we've heard. 
You can grab your copy at Amazon and the link is in the show notes. Okay, let's bring on Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I'm so glad you have joined the show today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here and have this conversation with you. Well, me too. I was telling you before we hit record that I am digging and I just feel like I am so thirsty for knowledge right now about this integration between our brain, our stress level, um, trauma from the past, or maybe it's just that ongoing chronic trauma and how it manifests itself within the body. Because, you know, as a fitness professional, we don't really get any kind of training on that. It's all about the mechanics and the functionality. And so I'm, I think that this is a real um, emerging, I I know it's been around forever, right? Like since our bodies were here, but um, I just think it's an emerging awareness and I'm, um, I'm really excited to have this conversation. But now I've introduced you before we came on. And um, if someone is like, "Hmm, mm, brain, brain based wellness, you know, mind, body, spirit, I don't know, that seems a little woo woo. (laughs) What I would love to do is for allow you to grab them and, and um, just encourage them to stay engaged. Because I think what we've got going on today is going to be some really fascinating information. But it's new. And sometimes new is scary. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an applied neurology practitioner and a lot of people have no idea what that is, but it's very science-based and it's a emerging field that comes out of the brain scan technology that has really only become available in the past 20 years or so. So we, maybe 30 years. So we only now are starting to really understand what an integrated system we have. And I was also a movement practitioner for most of my life. I started my first first business when I was 24 years old and it was a Pilates and movement business. And when at some point when we were developing our teacher training program, I knew that I wanted brain science to be a part of that. I started to understand that there is only so much you can do without looking at the operating system, which is the nervous system. And I began to understand like you don't have a tight hip flexor. You have a brain that is telling your hip flexor to maintain a certain amount of tension because it feels like that's the best thing for your survival. It feels like that is going to keep you safe to limit your range of motion. And until you change the neural pathway, until you change the operating system and the areas of the brain, you can foam roll it all you want. You can stretch it all you want, but it's going to go back to being the same way that it is. And so I started studying applied neurology in 2015 and really using it in my business for athletic performance and for pain, for pain management. And I've worked with a lot of clients in improving their strength, their endurance and their, and their experience in their body through training their nervous system, training their brain. And then it really wasn't until my own life went through a series of, of big stressors that I started to understand that our nervous system is responsible for much more than just our athletic performance, but also all of our behavior, our lived experience, our ability to be present, our ability to connect with others, our ability to not replay the patterns of our past that we develop as little kids and to move out of behaviors that are unwanted, like binge eating, like migraine, like chronic pain, um, shutdown, anxiety, and depression. And so through my own experience of being under a tremendous amount of stress and having to 
look and see how my nervous system was responding to that and having the background of applied neurology and, and having a good understanding of the system, I was able to then take it and apply it in a broader context to all those other things, to behavior change and well-being and overall health. But it, it took a lot of different things to come together for me to see that in my own life. Yeah. Hey, can we dig into one of the things that you mentioned? Because this is something I actually just recently learned. And you mentioned tight hip flexors. And that's not always a, um, that's not always just because you've been working them hard, or it's that delayed onset, you know, onset muscle soreness or something like that. That's actually your body keeping you safe. Go into a little more detail about that, if you will. Yeah. So it's important to understand that our brain's primary job is our survival. And I'm talking about the the older part of your brain, the back brain, your brain stem, which controls all of your autonomics and all of those things that happen without you thinking about it. So how much tension is kept in your muscles? It keeps you upright against the force of gravity. It makes your heartbeat and your digestion work and your breath happen. And all of the time, that part of your brain is taking in information from different systems in your body, like your eyes, your balance system, and your inner ear, your body mapping system. And it's integrating all of that information. And then it's producing an output. And the primary driver to what kind of output it produces is the question safe or unsafe. And if your old brain does not feel safe for whatever reason, it's not getting good quality information coming in from the different input systems. Maybe there's just a really high level of stress going on. Maybe there is some acute injury that it's taking into consideration. Then it's going to produce a protective output. And protective outputs can look like anything from increased muscle tension to pain, to dizziness, to depression, anything that's going to get you to reduce the amount of stimulus coming in to make your world safer, smaller, and, and to ensure your survival in that moment, in that second. So for with the, for example, with the hip flexor, Say you have a blurry map of where your foot is in space because maybe you have an old ankle injury that you've never properly rehabbed, or maybe just because you wear shoes all of the time and so the joints inside of the foot don't have a lot of mobility. And when those joints aren't mobile, the mechanoreceptors inside of them that tell our brain where our foot is in space start to get blurry. And our brain just doesn't have a clear picture of where our foot is. And so then every single step that I take is a little bit threatening because that body map is unclear. And so if each step is a little bit threatening, a great way to reduce the amount of threat is to take smaller steps. So where can you change the step size at the top of the lever, the hip flexor, right? So until I remobilize my feet or use sensory stimulus to reconnect my brain to that area of the body and get a good neural feed coming from my foot up to my brain, my brain is going to continue to tighten up my hip flexors to make my steps smaller because that is safer and I can foam roll it or I can dig a tennis ball up in there. I can do all kinds of manual stuff at the level of the hip flexor, but probably my brain is just going to start to increase the amount of tension, increase the adhesions that are there because it's doing that for a reason to keep me safe. And so until I start to look at the whole system and say, what is happening that's causing my brain to need to produce this particular output? It's going to 
keep generating that same protective output until I change it at the level of the system, the operating system. This is fascinating. Oh my gosh, this is super cool. Okay, so I I have a feeling that my listeners are going, so what do I do about that? But I want to just, I want to put a pin in that and don't let me forget to come back um, because I have a feeling that as we get going, you're probably going to be able to offer some ways to help deal with those tight hip flexors that are a result of the brain trying to keep us safe, not necessarily the result of overuse or just having a really hard workout. So let's, I want to make sure that we get back to that. (laughs) Um, You talked on this a little bit, but now I want to kind of start more in the broader range now that everybody's like, okay, I'm in, this is fascinating. And now I'm in for this conversation. Tell us what brain-based wellness is, because this is your program. This is your Um, This is your business. I think it is, uh, we were talking before we came on, this is such an emerging awareness. And I'm really excited um, for everybody to understand this. So tell us a little bit more about what brain-based wellness is. Brain-based wellness is a virtual platform where we focus on intentionally training the nervous system, just like you would train your muscles in the gym to be more resilient, to handle more stress. You can actually train your nervous system. It's really important to understand that our systems are plastic. They are always changing and they respond to the stimulus that we put in. So we have some agency over how our nervous system changes and then the outputs that we experience as a result of that. So am I in protective mode or am I in performance mode? And performance mode is where I can be present, be connected, have more strength, have greater range of motion. And I can do all of that by intentionally training the system. So on the platform, we train our nervous system by training the different input systems, our eyes, our visual system. So I actually have a lot of clients that I train out of having to wear glasses. Vision is a skill just like anything else and you can train it. Um, the balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Right. Or they can drive at night again, you know, women in their seventies or eighties who had given up that freedom of being able to drive at night. And now they can again, because everything is a skill. Every skill is trainable. We just have to make the time for it and know how to do it. Then there's the balance system in our inner ear, which is called your vestibular system. And it orients your body with the horizon and it sets all of the the tension in your muscles that keep you upright against gravity and it, it orients your body position. And it's a really important input system for the nervous system. And then there's your body mapping system, the mechanoreceptors in your joints that let your brain know where your body is in space and your sensory systems like touch what we do is we train all of those different systems so that your brain is constantly getting a clearer picture of the world around you and where your body is in space. And as that body map gets clearer, as the input coming in gets clearer, then your brain feels safer on a second by second basis doing its primary job, which is making predictions to keep you alive. So we meet together virtually on the site and we train our nervous system. And then we also have some programs where we take the work a little bit deeper into somatic movement, which is just body-based releasing of emotions and stress that happen in the body so that we can um, discharge some of that emotional energy, rewire some of our trauma responses. And those programs are really intentionally designed to address disordered eating and workaholism, burnout. And so we have those small group trainings on the site. And then we do some neurosomatic meditation, which is just 
incorporating the nervous system and the body into meditation, into our wellness practices, so that it's a very bottom up approach to creating behavior change, to creating a new experience of the world. We're using the body and the system to create a new output. Wow. Okay. That is really comprehensive. One of the things that I'm wondering is how is this, um, I don't know if congruent is the right word, but this feels like an a complement to someone who might be working on um, their their story, you know, their of their their past, or maybe working with a counselor or a therapist or something like that. Is there are there some um, similar approaches, or you know, I, I'm sure, like I know for me, I'm a nutrition coach, but I'm not a registered dietitian, so I'm always like wanting to make sure I'm like I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> know where my boundaries are. And I know that you're really educated to where you are. But talk to me a little bit about the how those two can complement each other. Yeah, so I think cognitive work is really important. It's important to, um, you know, therapy is really important, or group therapy, or 12 step work, or all of these different things that we do to create behavior change in our life and to resolve our trauma. And then there's another component to all of that, that is how our nervous system and our body responds to all of that. And so a lot of times what happens in cognitive therapy is that we can deconstruct things at the level of our prefrontal cortex, our higher order thinking systems, but we're not bringing our old brain and our body on board with that process. And we start to experience the same reactions to things without the ability to change and it can get really frustrating. And so combining these tools with cognitive awareness can be a really powerful way to create a new experience and a different kind of change. For example, I've been sober since I was 24 years old. I've been in therapy for a long time and I've had a meditation practice. I have spiritual practices and there were certain areas of my life that I just couldn't get through. I have been a binge eater my whole life. Um, I experienced a lot of migraine and chronic pain. And when I went into that time of very high stress, I had to dissolve my partnership shares in my business of 12 years. And that very same week that I dissolved my partnership shares, my romantic partner at the time that I was living with was diagnosed with very rare cancer around his heart. And I went into being a full-time caretaker and it was a time of losing a lot of the safety and the structure that I had in my world. And that brought up all of this unresolved trauma that lived inside of my body. And so I started to experience really severe outputs of my own nervous system. My binge eating got really bad. I would experience a lot of dissociation from my body, a lot of chronic fatigue. And I had all of these practices. I had all of this therapy and I couldn't understand why I couldn't move out of these behaviors, why I couldn't think my way out of um, doing something because I knew I wanted to be different cognitively. And I started to recognize in myself signals of dysregulation that I would look for in my, in my pain clients. I started to see threat signals, postural changes, I felt that my mouth would go dry, that the tension would increase around my eyes, that I would experience all these subtle signals of threat before I moved into a binge. And I began to recognize, wow, I'm really dysregulated. And I started to learn more about somatics, reading books like the Body Keeps the Score or Waking the Tiger or When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate. And all of these books began to teach me what I 
understood intuitively is that this change and this knowing has to has to come into my body. It has to come into my nervous system and it can't just stay in my, in my prefrontal cortex in my higher order thinking systems, because it's not so compartmentalized and my, my body and my nervous system were keeping me safe through those behaviors, um, through the binge eating, through the shutdown. I was under too much stress for too long. And that was my body's best way to keep me safe. And so if I wanted the behavior to change, if I wanted the output to change, I had to give myself new tools to regulate, new tools to move that stress through my body, to allow myself to experience emotions and not just in my thoughts, but really express them through my body. And so that began a long time period of me learning how to do that, working with a bunch of different healers and understanding that while cognitive therapy and cognitive tools are very important, there's another component that has to be addressed in order to really achieve the kind of lasting change that I was looking for. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm, so I'm hearing you say it's really integrating the cognitive and the physical, which, which was what seemed to be, um, your, continue or you know, to help heal you and to make it a longer term rather than um, maybe, you know, not as a, a shorter term. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. I, you, you've used a couple words um, that I would love for you to explain a little bit more. If you don't mind, what do you mean by old brain? We have different areas of our brain and it's, generally divided into three parts. So we have our higher order thinking systems, which is our frontal lobe, our prefrontal cortex. And that's where what really makes us human lives, our memory, our cognition, our movement. Um, And then we have our old brain, which is our brainstem, our cerebellum. And that's often referred to as the more reptilian part of our brain. And it is the part of our brain that sets up all of our autonomic functions. And when I say autonomics, I just mean anything that happens automatically without your conscious awareness. So heart rate, respiration, digestion, although you can make your respiration conscious, um, muscle tone, resting muscle tone without you cognitively trying to contract it. But just when you're sitting here, what's keeping you upright? There's a certain amount of tension in your muscles that's doing that. All of that comes from your old brain. And then you have kind of a middle center, your your limbic system, the mammalian part of the brain that is where um, your emotional center is and where we experience a lot of the physiology of emotions. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. That makes, um, that makes a lot of sense. And then talk about, uh, what dysregulation is. That's a great question. And it's dysregulation is a term that's thrown around a lot. And so I think it's important for people to understand what that really means. We have, again, we have this autonomic nervous system that's controlling all of these things going on without our conscious awareness. And that nervous system has two parts, has your sympathetic, which is your fight and flight, your arousal response, and that's preparing you to take action. So it's going to move blood out of your organs into your muscles so that you can run or you can fight. It's going to increase your heart rate. It's going to stop your digestion so that you can take action. And it's really meant for 
when we're under threat of some kind to mobilize us to respond to that threat. And then you have your parasympathetic system, which brings you down out of that arousal response into calm and respond, rest and digest. Your blood moves back into your organs so you can digest your food. You can experience pleasure. Your heart rate slows down. Your respiration slows down. Your muscles relax a little bit more. And we're always oscillating between those states. We're never in one entirely and in the other entirely. We're always kind of modulating between the two. What regulation is, is being in the appropriate amount of either sympathetic or parasympathetic response for the given task at hand. Like you don't want to never um, have a sympathetic response. When you're working out, you need to be in more of a sympathetic state because you want to be able to generate force through your muscles. When something does require your action, you want to be able to mobilize in that way, but then you want to be able to come down out of that state. Dysregulation is when you get stuck in that state of sympathetic nervous system response where you're in fight and flight or you, when you've been in fight and flight for too long, you can also move into freeze, which is where the system starts to shut down entirely. It's too much stress for too long. You can experience brain fog, dissociation out of your body, everything just kind of shutting down because you've been in that high stress state for too long. So when you're in sympathetic response for too long, that's not great. It leads to all of this pumping out of stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol and you know a little bit of stress again is is good we need stress for adaptation we're resilient and we're made to respond to stress but chronic stress is where the problem is that then we get cortisol pumping out all of the time which damages our blood vessels it damages our our nerves and it causes a lot of dysregulation to our immune system to our inflammation responses and so our our old brain and our nervous system, our body understand that too much stress for too long is dangerous and causes disease. And that is why it will push you into those protective behaviors like a binge, like stress eating truly is your body's response to being stuck in that sympathetic state. If I eat a bunch of food it will re-regulate my system. I will move into my calm and respond, rest and digest state, and I need a break from that sympathetic response. So regulation is when you can move in and out of those states and have the appropriate response of your nervous system for what's really going on at the time. Dysregulation is when you have too much too much fight and flight, too much stress response when it's inappropriate. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for clearing those up. Um, boy, I'm like looking at all my questions. I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with this. <laughs> I okay. know there's a lot to think about, <laughs> isn't there? Well, and just so listeners know, I kind of provided you some questions that I wanted to ask. And I've, I think I've gone off script a lot on here because I just, I keep wanting to follow these. I think it's just so fascinating. Okay. What about, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you just mentioned binge eating in the way um, that our body can protect us from, um, from the stress, you know, that, that we have and, and not having that appropriate amount of, um, of this sympathetic system. 
which I probably just jumbled up all of those words, but I think you know what I'm talking Hopefully everyone is talking about. Talk to us a little bit about some of the other ways that our body can protect us. And maybe it's we've never made that connection or it's really surprising. Because to me to hear that binge eating, eating can be a protective mechanism is really surprising. So do you have any other ways that, um, that the brain will do that in order to protect our, to protect ourselves? Yeah. So let me backtrack a little because I think that it is really surprising for people to hear that. And it, for me, there was a real moment of clarity that I had around my own binge eating where I actually experienced a a ton of gratitude that my body knew how to do that intuitively to help me regulate myself. And that was a really powerful shift in perspective for me. It allowed me to see the grace of my body's own wisdom in doing that and to start to view that behavior without judgment, without you know needing to punish myself afterwards, but to really have a lot of compassion for myself and actual gratitude. So there are a lot of studies that look at the link between childhood trauma and disease later in life. When you have what's called a high ACE score, which stands for adverse childhood experience, which I do have, I have quite a bit of um, trauma in my early childhood, then there your body is dysregulated and that leads later in life to the development of disease, to autoimmune, to cancer, to addiction, to mental health collapse. And I have known other people who have experienced a similar level of trauma as myself, and they were not able to be as functional as I was. They were either institutionalized or they got very sick. I do have autoimmune, but I I do deeply believe that if I hadn't found food at an early age as a tool to regulate myself when I didn't have other means of moving out of that high stress state, I would have got much sicker. I, I have some autoimmune, but I think it could be much worse. And I think that my body was really protecting me and providing me with the tools to regulate. And if I wanted to move out of that behavior, because eventually it didn't serve me, it became really painful and it wasn't how I wanted to live my life. I needed new tools for regulation rather than just taking that behavior away from me. So other things that our body uses to keep us safe when we're under a lot of stress, and it's been a really high stress time for a lot of us over the past two years with the pandemic, with all of the change, change is inherently threatening to the brain, whether it's good or bad, because we function on pattern recognition. And there has been a ton of change coming at all of us, Um, financial instability, concerns about health. So, you know, it's normal to see an increase in your stress eating. It is also normal to see a, a desire to drink. Alcohol is another central nervous system depressant. And it also gives stimulus to certain areas of the brain and certain nerves that get understimulated in stress to your insular cortex, to your celiac plexus. And so these are all areas of the brain that need upregulation when you're under stress, your vagus nerve. All of our behaviors really are our brain's best bet to change the way that we feel inside that internal state and to either get the regulation that it needs or to get stimulus for certain areas of the brain that they need. So we've got drinking is one, eating a lot of food is one, pain is actually a really good protective output of the brain because if I can provide you with pain, then I can 
make you take smaller steps, work out with less intensity, maybe even go lay down, pull the covers over your head, shut out all of the stimulus. So sometimes pain is linked to an acute injury, but a lot of times, especially if you have chronic pain or pain that just kind of migrates around like, oh, my shoulder hurts, now my back hurts, now my jaw hurts. It is often just a signal from your brain that you've been under too much stress for too long and it's trying to reduce the amount of stimulus coming in. It's trying to get you to do things less, work out with less intensity, overall keep you safe. Well, yeah, those are all really good. I mean, it sounds too, I think I've I've heard you talk about migraines too. Like that is one of them that could be related mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I work with a lot of people with migraine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay, I want to move into the vagus nerve because you mentioned that. And it's funny, I have a friend who has been on the show before. So my listeners will recognize the name Emily Baker. And she does a lot of counseling revolving story work. And she one time she said, I'm just fascinated. And I'm obsessed with the vagus nerve right now. So she's explained it a little bit to me. But I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that and particularly how it relates to our conversation today. Yeah, the vagus nerve is really important. Um, it's it's very hot right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> again, it's only part of the system, but it's a really important part of the system that can make a dramatic impact pretty quickly. So our vagus nerve is cranial nerve 10. It runs from your brainstem all the way down into your pelvis. And it is a really key player in regulating your autonomic nervous system. It's a key player in your parasympathetic response, your rest and digest your calm and respond system. So our vagus nerve has a lot to do with that, has a lot to do with setting our inflammation and our immune system. It also is the nerve that gives the signals from inside of your body back up to your brain. So there's a system called your interoceptive system, which basically just means the system in which your brain is able to read signals from your body and know what's happening inside of you. What's your body temperature, your heart rate, how, what's happening with your digestion and all of your organs. And your vagus nerve is the pathway that that information is relayed up to the brain. So there is a lot of research that looks at the link between vagus nerve underperformance or damage to the vagus nerve, damage to the interceptive system, um, and PTSD and disordered eating and depression. So when we have issues with our interceptive system, oftentimes we are not able to read the signals accurately inside of our own body. And oftentimes we are interpreting too much threat where there isn't any. And we start to create that felt sense of disease, of unease inside of our body. And then that drives panic. It drives anxiety. And it can then push us into those sympathetic nervous system states for too long. And then we experience those protective outputs. So a lot of the work that I do is meant to help upregulate the vagus nerve to rewire that neural pathway from the body into the brain. I actually have on my site a free video series um, that people can go to and sign up for and get some really quick and simple tools to upregulate their vagus nerve. And then there's also a free 45 minute vagus nerve training because I think it's so important for people. And I think that 
even just learning one or two tools where you can give your vagus nerve some good stimulus and help that system function better can have a very dramatic impact in your overall health. And so I would love for people to, if they feel inspired to just head over and check out the video series, because that is, it's such an important part of training the nervous system. Yes. Well, and listeners know that I am all into uh, making things as simple as possible. So we'll definitely include links to those in the show notes and definitely go check that out. So this is, you know, if if now they're at the point, you know, now I'm at the point, I'm like, okay, I am, I'm really ready to learn more. And I'm recognizing that maybe I'm dysregulated or some of the things that we've talked about today, uh, including maybe those tight hip flexors uh, are, are resonating. So what kind of actionable steps might you suggest uh, to, to start now in just like just starting and um, helping to manage, you know, stress I know is like a really big word. um, And there's probably more precise words that you would rather be used. And so feel free to correct me on that. But where would you what would you suggest for people to, um, to start with? I think one of the most important things is starting to learn to recognize the signals coming from your own body. Again, that's a one way to train that interceptive system that I was talking about. And it also helps us know when we're moving into threat, when we're moving into that sympathetic nervous system response. So I like to start people out with a minimum effective dose of trying to read the signals that their body is sending them. So just taking 30 seconds a day to drop from your head down into your body with a lot of curiosity without any judgment and just starting to see how many signals you can read inside of your body. Can you feel your heart beating? Can you feel your ribs expanding and contracting with your breath? Can you feel your diaphragm inflate and contract? Can you, know, what does it feel like in the bottom of my belly? What does it feel like in my throat? And for some people, even just doing that can be threatening because we've been stuck in a dissociated state for a long time. So I would say take a couple straw breaths before you do it, breathe in through your nose, pause, take a nice long exhale, breathing out through your mouth, like you're breathing out of a straw, creating a little resistance for your exhalation. Try to make your exhalation at least twice as long as your inhalation so that you're upregulating your parasympathetic, your calm and respond system. And then drop into your head or drop from your head down into your body for 30 seconds and just start to read those signals. And then over time, start to look for those signals of threat in your real life to know that you are moving into a dysregulated state. So there's a couple things that you can look out for that'll tell you, hey, something here is is making my body feel stressed out. And if you lose saliva in your mouth, if your mouth gets dry, because saliva is part of our digestive process. And when we're moving into fight and flight, we move out of our digestive process into preparing for action. So if your mouth gets dry, if you experience a lot of tension around your eyes, that's part of startle reflex or reflexive action of protection. If your shoulders start to elevate and you get a lot of tension in your upper traps, if you start to experience small signals of pain, maybe a little bit of pain at the site of an old injury, because again, our body uses that well-worn pathway to signal us like, hey, this is threat. It'll speak to us quietly in the beginning, but those signals will get louder and louder. So if you can start to hear those signals when they're softer and quieter and think, hey, I'm moving into a dysregulated state, 
can I do something now that my nervous system likes? Can I go for a walk? Can I listen to a song and dance around my house? Can I give myself some sensory stimulus on my hands, on my feet? Can I take a couple straw breaths? Can I do a vagus nerve drill to regulate my system? And you can start to interrupt those cycles of dysregulation. Then you will get better and better at moving out of those protective responses, because whatever we do, we get better at that pathway gets more well-worn in the brain. So the more you can start to read the subtle signals of the body and do something to interrupt that, that loop of moving into sympathetic response and creating the protective output, the better. So training yourself to start to even listen to the body and then learning just a couple tools that your nervous system likes and implementing those in the times of stress so that you re-regulate yourself can really help you to move out of unwanted behavior and out of unwanted outputs of your nervous system. And one of the things that I have learned um, as I've been trying to practice more awareness is just because I have been moving my whole life and I grew up dancing and I've been into fitness and I kind of felt like, well, I've got a lot of body awareness. Those I would call more of that, like the macro awareness because I'm, you know, I'm coordinated. I know where my sense of space is. However, it's those micro ones and it's those smaller ones. Like, so when you were talking about all of the senses of stress, I will feel it. And in fact, I, even when I talk about getting stressed, I know they can't see me, but I will like squeeze my chest, like almost like my pectoral muscles. And that's one of the things that I have started to notice, but it took awareness. And so what I'm hearing you say is, just be aware. And that's the first step, uh, which is, you know, (laughs) has a lot broader meaning as well. But just being aware of this can really help us to that path of, of, um, of, of healing, and taking us out of that dysregulated state. One of the things I've been learning about is the belly breathing, and how that can be well, I'm going to let you describe it or explain it because the benefits of belly breathing and what that is. So belly breathing is really taking more diaphragmatic breaths where you move from breathing into your upper chest, you know, down into your belly and slowing your respiration down. And the reason that that is helpful, and again, everything is a little bit different for everyone. Everybody's nervous system responds differently to everything. So one of the things I I talk a lot about on the site is just learning how to become the expert of your own nervous system, learning how to assess and reassess how everything is affecting you. You can do that through range of motion testing. You can do that through just going in and doing a body scan and looking for those threat signals. But even with belly breathing, I would urge people to assess and reassess because it's always going to, there's no one size fits all for nervous system training. Everybody needs different stimulus, but in general, belly breathing is helpful in to bring us into that parasympathetic system response. When our respiration is faster and in our upper chest, we're sending a signal from our body up to our brain that we are under a little bit of threat, that it's time to prepare for action. And when our respiration slows down, especially our exhalations, then we are sending a signal from our body up to our brain that we are not under threat, that everything is okay, that we can, that we are in that calm and respond state. So by bringing your conscious awareness to your breath and changing it in a way that activates your parasympathetic system, you can take a really bottom-up approach to creating a different experience in your body and then letting that change 
your thoughts and your mind. So rather than cognitively telling yourself, I need to calm down right now. There's nothing to be stressed out about. I need to, you know, I need to just chill out about this. Instead of thinking yourself into feeling calm, you can use your breath to, from your body up to your brain, start to calm you down and then let your thoughts calm down because your body is saying to your brain, we are okay. Okay. Yeah. That's the kind of that integration that you were talking about earlier. Tell us what, um, tell us what we can receive through, uh, for those who are interested in exploring the brain-based wellness site and the courses you have so much on there. I'm just really impressed with all of the research that you have and your knowledge. Um, tell us what people can expect if they were to, uh, participate in that program. The best place to get started with brain-based wellness, because you're right, there's a lot of lot of stuff on there, is with this free video series that I have. And so you can just go to the site, which is brainbased-wellness.com and sign up for the free video series. And it will teach you a couple really effective neural exercises that have been positive for a lot of my clients in reducing stress, moving them out of pain, giving them just really quick practical tools to interrupt that stress response. And so it will also teach you how to assess and reassess for your own nervous system, how to start to see if things are moving you in a positive direction, because again, everybody's different and we should know how to know whether our nervous system likes something or doesn't like something so that we can be mindful of that as we implement these practices into our life. And then it'll, it'll also offer people a vagus nerve training, which is, is really important. And then if it speaks to you, there's all kinds of movement classes on the site. There's nervous system training on the site. There's neurosomatic meditation, and it's just a monthly membership site. You can cancel at any time. And it's a really amazing community too. We do all the classes live. People hang out afterwards and talk. I stay around and answer questions and I'm on the site almost every day. It is the very best part of it is is the community that's there. I mean, it's really been a lifeline to me through the pandemic and through a time that I think a lot of other people experience social mm-hmm. isolation. I had this amazing community of growth-oriented seekers around me, and I just feel really grateful for the people that are there and show up and do the work. Well, it is such a comprehensive program and I, I love what you're doing. I'm wondering if you could, this is a follow-up question to that, which is to talk to the person who is saying, this sounds interesting and fascinating and I'm so stressed out and I need to learn to manage it better, but it stresses me out to think of one more thing to do. What kind of encouragement might you give to that? Because I think that that's probably a default response that a lot of us would have. Absolutely. And I hear you. Like, I don't want to be adding more that people have to do onto their already overtaxed plates. And so I teach people to start with a minimum effective dose, which is one to three minutes a day of training your nervous system. Maybe 30 seconds of a respiration drill, 30 seconds of vagus nerve stimulus, and 30 seconds dropping from your head down into your body and reading the signals that it's sending you, just starting to develop that interceptive skill. And it, as little as a minute, 
a day can actually start to make a difference. And then a lot of these drills, you just want to put in your back pocket and have for when you're feeling that stress and then use them in real time to interrupt your stress or use them in between meetings, use them before you have to go do public speaking, use them before you have a difficult conversation so that you can re-regulate your system. And it will take only about 30 seconds to a minute. It's very practical. And there, you know, there's a little bit of time that it takes to learn the drill, maybe, you know, five to 10 minutes of the video. But then once you learn it, you have it and you can implement it throughout your life in real time as you need it. And this isn't about adding like an hour of nervous system training every morning before you begin your day. It's just throughout the day as you need it, having tools to re-regulate your nervous system so that you can achieve behavior change without adding more stress to your life. You know, one thing as we learn more and more about particularly movement, but also eating and and you can take anything. And it's, and I, I hear a response a lot of times of like, you know, this sounds really interesting. I cannot add one more thing onto my plate. But what I love that you've done, Elizabeth, is that you've said as little as one minute. We all have one minute. We can, we can do this. We can give up one to three minutes a day. <laughs> to help our overall well-being. This is this is possible people, we can do this. It really is and like you're worth it, you know? Like this is your precious life and your precious body and the great thing about it too is that you start to implement just a little bit here and there. And what we're doing is giving you more bandwidth so that you can handle one more thing, right? You feel like you can't handle one more thing because you're stuck in a high stress, chronic stress response and you're exhausted and depleted. And so in order to change that, we have to, we have to give the system support and then that feeling of like, I cannot, that burnout, that burnout starts to be alleviated by taking care of the system. And it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very practical, but you're, you're worth it. Amen. That is definitely the place to end on that. And I love that you use the word you're worth it, worth it. Cause I actually just wrote a book called your worthy body. So <laughs> we are, <laughs> we are right we are Beautiful. right there together. I would I would so love to just keep you on here and ask you so many questions, but I feel like I need to honor your time. I know I need to honor your time. I feel like you've given us a lot of really fascinating science and application and I just want to thank you for that. I have one more um one more question that I ask all my guests. Uh regard it regards tattoos. So I'm fascinated by tattoos. I don't have any, but I just think that a lot of the times when we choose to put something on our body for the rest of our lives that has a meaning behind it. And so I was wondering if you had any tattoos, would you be willing to uh, share one and um, what it means to you? And if not, if you had to get one, what would it be and where would it go? So I have a tattoo on my forearm that is text and it's in my father's handwriting and I got it after he passed away and it is a Rilke poem and my dad was German. I'm from Germany. And uh, so it's in German and it says, fling the emptiness out of your arms into the spaces we breathe. And perhaps the birds will fill the expanded air with more passionate flying. I was young when I got it, but it has continued to take on significance for me in a, a deep belief that I have that as we move our emotions through our body, as we process things and put them out into the world and 
then as a result, have the capability for greater self-expression and really just putting our souls, our spirits out into the world, living open-heartedly, that we expand that space for all people to do the same, that in the space that I create by being self-expressed and and healing myself so that I have the capability to let my wild spirit shine, that also opens the space for other people, that the the birds can fly in the expanded air. And so I use that as a reminder to keep doing the work and to keep expanding because I think it leads to expansion for all of us, which is what I want. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, Elizabeth, this has been fantastic. And uh, why don't you real quickly just uh, share where people can get a hold of you and connect with you. And I will make sure that I include all of that on the show notes. Best place to get a hold of me is through my website, which is brainbased-wellness.com. And you can sign up for the free video series there. Just get started really practically. And then you can also find me on Instagram at E-L Christoph, K-R-I-S-T-O-F. And I put a lot of little videos up there too, and we'll put this podcast up and others. And so that's another place to just come get some tools. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was fantastic. And listeners, if this is hitting a nerve, no pen intended, make sure you go check out brain-based wellness because there is so much information over there. I'm, I'm definitely been enjoying digging into all of your information. So thank you, Elizabeth. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. One thing I wanted to say and got sidetracked because my mind was just going in a million directions is I think it's really powerful for Elizabeth to have gratitude for her time of binge eating rather than shame. We hear of destructive ways we deal with our emotions and can really easily shame ourselves for that. But isn't it just such a beautiful response to recognize the behavior and realize that it was actually a protective mechanism to keep her safe? I just love that perspective. The other thing Elizabeth mentioned is the ACE study. If you'd like to learn more about the Adverse Childhood Experiences study, I have included a link in the show notes. Now, if you found value in today's show, here are three things that would be really valuable to me that really don't take much from you. Number one, rate and review this podcast. I know it can be confusing, especially on Apple, which is why I have a link in the show notes. All you, This is what you have to do. Click it. It takes you somewhere. You leave a review. Super simple. Number two, sign up to receive my monthly journals. This is a subscriber only space for me to share things I love. And I think you will too. Since it's subscriber only, it's not out there on web. You can't go on my website and find it. I get to be uh, snarky and sassy and sometimes serious and really just share pictures and experiences that I don't want to put out there. So I always get lots of fun feedback when I send that out. So I would love to get one in your inbox as well. Number three, purchase a copy of my book, Your Worthy Body. This is not a diet book. This is not a how to lose a bunch of weight book. Instead, it's a cross-cultural, grace-filled look at how to change your mindset about your body, eating, and movement all through a lens of faith. In each episode, I tried to give you one simple thing to remember. We boy, let me tell you, this was kind of hard. So I'm just going to try and wrap it all up in in this one simple thing. That is, 
God gave our bodies the feedback to connect with our minds to figure out what is best for us, how we can thrive, how we can handle stress, how we can handle emotions. Use the tools that Elizabeth mentioned that will help you regulate your system so that way you and your body can thrive and you can do what you're called to do. Okay, that is all for today. Go out there and have a great day.